Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Presents. Um, I am... Uh... My name is uh, Ray Gerard. Uh, so as I say, this is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, which we humbly call the Rome of the West. Um, anyways, um, with me in studio today, I have uh, a very distinguished guest I'm privileged to have with me, uh, David Keyes. Uh, David has just written a book uh, called Discovering the Fullness of Reality. And if you're wondering about the connection between faith and science and uh, where they come together, uh, this is the book for you. So David uh, has a Ph.D. in physics from Washington University here in St. Louis. He also has a master in theology from Franciscan University in Steubenville. So you've got both ends of the spectrum covered. It's a, Just, it's a great combination. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. So, uh, so welcome to the program, David. Well, thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. And you worked uh, in your career, now you're retired, but while you were uh, in the working world, you did radiation therapy for hospitals here in St. Louis? I uh, did the physics work for that, so it was all service work, actually, for treating a patient, how to do it, uh, how to verify it, uh, involved with uh, uh, radioactive implants or nuclear medicine studies, very, various things that involved a, a scientific touch. But all the while that you've been engaged in the scientific community, I guess you had a, a spiritual uh, part of your life. I guess you, what, you were raised Catholic? Um, yes, I was raised Catholic, and uh, I did all the Catholic things and <laughs> Holy Day of Obligations, you know, uh, uh, the Athletic Association, you know, all the things that a lot of people do. Uh, but it, it really wasn't until... A, a uh, actually a evangelical asked me uh, if I had a personal relationship that I decided I should really look into this deeper. And that's yeah. when I started going back to uh, school and, uh, and getting my master's through Franciscan. And so when was that? Like in the 1990s? That that no, would have early been 2000s? about uh, it was about 10 years. So around 2002. 2002. 2002. Yeah. And so. Uh, 
but you do have okay so you got the mess and um so then you, what, you retired uh, from your career in 2012 so about 10 years ago and then i started writing a, another book it was on the the eucharist uh exploring the beliefs in the real presence and that was sparked by uh, another evangelical pastor who asked why do catholics believe this so and, just and we keep, just started writing you emails getting, back and forth. Keep getting challenges and deciding every time you get one, you write a book. <laughs> yeah, the emails got longer and longer, and eventually, when I retired, I had time to uh, put it into book form. So, tell us about discovering the fullness of reality. What's the? How did you come to write this book? I mean, I think you, you mentioned it a little bit. Yeah. Well, I was uh, had written my other book. And a, and a number of people liked it they, because I try to make things conversational, easy to understand. And they came to me talking about how their kids, uh, they, they just don't believe because everything is science. They, science is a thing and, and religion is, is mythology or legends or whatever. And so they were asking me, uh, you know, what can I do? How can I get this message out? And so that was really the beginning of the, of the thought processes. Well, how do we get the message out? And, and what is the, the real issue? Because we all know that, that truth cannot contradict truth. And I, in the science world, I knew certain things that I believed to be true. And in the, the religion world, I knew, had certain things that I knew to be true. How do these things fit together? And so you have to look at the very beginning and, and well, how do you know anything at all? Well, you know things strictly because you trust the sources. You trust what your parents told you. You trust what the, your teachers told you. You trust the, the textbooks. Uh, you get into a profession, and you can't possibly do every experiment that anybody ever, ever did, so you have to trust the results from that. And the more you trust, the more likely you are to believe. So I began to looking, well, what... What do you need to, to trust? How is that? I mean, after all, uh, science tells us the universe is 13.8 billion years ago. Well, who, who knows that? Only a handful of people. Even the, the physics people, you, you read about it, and you can see graphs in a, in a journal, but in, you're not, you didn't measure it. So you have to have trust to have knowledge. Right. And... Uh, so that began to, to uh, as I said, to look at things, and I, and I, and I realized that in the faith science uh, arena, uh, you have two different groups, that, which the media really uh, puts against each other. You have people like the fundamentalists, and then you have the atheists, and they don't speak about anything in between. And I looked at the the fundamentalists, and and they tend to. Uh, some of the fundamentalists, it's getting less nowadays, but they tend to, to see that uh, the Bible is it. And if the Bible says it was six days of creation, then it was six days of creation. And, uh, and they, they believe that, and some of them calculate the, the age of the, of the universe to be 6,000, maybe 10,000 years old. And then you have on the other side, you, you have the the science, and a lot of this is all within the last 50 years, to be honest, uh, that all these calculations are come down. And we're about, you know, 13.8 billion years. There's quite a bit of difference. So what's wrong with that picture? So, so, so you, go ahead. 
So we've got um, we've got science on the one hand, we've got faith, uh, we've got faith and religion on the other hand, um, and you take the position that they they go together. Is right. that so? Yeah, tell us what you mean. I mean, is that is that what you mean when you when you talk about the fullness of reality? I can give it by an example. The the problem with the scientific view is that they're looking at a very narrow element of reality. And the pro- problem with the fundamentalists is that they are looking at things in a very narrow narrowness of reality. Science tends to answer the what and the how. Religion answers the who and the why. So they're different questions. And so they can come to truths about these things, but they must merge together. So let me give an example. And of course, this Genesis is, is a great example. We'll do the fundamentalists. What is what do you get from Genesis? And Catholics come up with the same thing. You get up that God created the universe out of nothing. It was orderly. He did this day one, day two, day three. It is intentional. It wasn't just a a, a happening, and it was made uh, so that for the benefit of man, so that man could come to know God. And that's that's a, a religious side of you point of view. And when you go to the, the, the physics point of view, well, with, with the, as science has evolved and, and it's very hard to find anybody who doesn't believe in, in a Big Bang theory, uh, they, they all agree, science agrees, that there was nothing there until the universe came. You can have some people say, well, there was a zillion other universes, but our universe wasn't there. So no, they all agree, there's nothing there. So it came out of nothing. It is extremely orderly. And the, the research that has been done about the order of the initial uh, universe is just, the number is so incredible, uh, astronomical, doesn't begin to do. Uh, the likelihood of uh, astronomical is much too small. It is way, 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 way too unlikely to have the order that it did. So it acknowledges that it was out of nothing. It was orderly. And then they they state that there uh, is fine-tuning and that they've, they've done some research. Uh, the question came up, and, and they said, well, what happened if the gravitational strength, because there's different forces that we talk about, what if it just changed, tweaked it a little bit? And it turns out that if you treat tweak the strength of the gravitational force by 1 in 10 to the 50th. 10 to the 50th, uh, that would be uh, like 8 trillion trillion, more than 8 trillion 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 trillion. <laughs> no, might be 4 of them. More than 4 of them. Okay. It's a, it's a really small... I like one. that phrase in your book where you talk about a godzillion. A godzillion. And you might also <laughs> use the word godzillion because the number is so small. And so... Uh, if, if, you, if you look at that and you just tweak that one little force by that much, either the universe would have, uh, you, you decrease the strength, then the universe would have expanded so quickly you wouldn't have had galaxies. And if you make it stronger, it would have been so strong that you, everything would be one lump. So it had to be exactly right, and that's fine-tuning. And we have the same issue with uh, uh, electromagnetic uh, forces. Uh, there are strong and weak nuclear forces uh, There's in, within the nucleus that helps keep the nucleus. When you begin to tinker with these things, we find out that they, they have to be what they are, are things that work. 
other things, the, the ratio of how much a proton, how much mass is in a proton to what it is in an electron. If these things are tinkered at all, you don't get a universe. So there is, it's been well known that the universe has fine tuning, and all physics agree to that. Uh, it's just how did the fine tuning occur? Well, they don't really, they can't say. They just, they acknowledge it, but they say it wasn't God. Or some people say that. Other mm -hmm. people look at it and they say, oh, uh, this is kind of intentional. Uh, uh, Dr. Fred Hoyle in the around 1940s, I believe, uh, he uh, starts talking about there must have been a super intellect monkeying around with these, these things. But, you know, because the odds of it happening. Because the odds of it happening the randomly. Way it, the, way it, the way it turned so, out. So, so far we have it that the, the universe came from science. We have it that the universe came from nothing. By it the way, there's a, little bit of a, there's a little bit of a philosophical problem with that. I mean, a little bit of a logical problem with that. Well, it gets to be a logical problem. But we're going to get all four things here between the two to agree. It's from nothing, orderly. It's fine-tuned, meaning which I would take to say it was intentionally had to happen this way. And then our, the way evolution, cosmic evolution, which is different than biologic evolution, the way that the galaxies formed and our solar system formed is a, is a one-time event. You can't go like biology where the next generation may have a new random variation. This is a one-time event. So the cosmic evolution made it so that the Earth is just perfect where it's at, the size of the Earth, the distance from the sun, the size of the sun, the presence of Jupiter, the rotation rates, uh, which, by the way, uh, when the solar system, when the Earth first began, was like three hours a day was how fast it was spinning instead really? of 24 hours a day. And you can imagine if we were living at that time, all the storms and everything else that would be happening. And so it's changing, and eventually it will stop. Just like you look at the moon, and I didn't realize this for many years, that the, the moon doesn't rotate. You're looking at the same face every time. Well, if, if our Earth still is around, someday it will not rotate also. But we're just at this 24 hours a day. If it's a 48-hour day, think of, that'd be a long work day. So we're happy that, <laughs> that we get an eight-hour work day, eight hours of activities, eight hours of sleep. So it's just, just so ideal. So, so cosmically, the, the universe was set up to be anthropic. It is anthropic. <laughs> like, you know, it's made, it, it, it is made, perfect for man. Made for so us. now when you look at these things, you get, you get uh, seeing it this way, you see that they're both saying the same thing. And you just, that in one case, they attribute it to God doing it. And the other case, it's either, uh, well, really, it should be, they shouldn't be trying to say who did it because that's not what physics does. They do the, the how and the why. Uh, that, that's really the problem, isn't it, is that when we apply science to questions of faith or we apply faith to questions of science, it's, I mean, what you're trying to do is something they're not designed for. That's right. Uh, you look at uh, Genesis again. And you say, well, why did they say these things that weren't true? Why didn't they just come out and, and say that uh, that it took longer times, whatever? Well, some people do, do say that it wasn't a day, it was an eon. But the order in Genesis is not correct sure. for the way th according to what we know happened. 
And, and so you look at that and you realize that what Genesis is there for is to reveal something about the nature of God and about why we, are, we are here. That yeah. is why. And they couldn't explain it exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is, um, I, I, I need to tell, tell folks that this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. And we're speaking today with uh, uh, Dr. David Keyes, who has written a book called Discovering the Fullness of Reality. And it's all about... Um, it's all about a reality that is beyond just science, or beyond just faith. And actually, the fullness of reality is a reality where they both come together, where truth meets truth. Well, let's go even further than that. Faith let's do. Is, is one thing, science is another, but there are other realities. And in, in the book, I talk about a very simple thing about a, a husband and wife in their kitchen table. And the wife turned out to be a physicist, and so she looks at the table, and she sees it as a bunch of molecules and voids and forces and stuff like that. And the husband's a, an accountant, and he realized that he scratched the table, and he really needs to replace it. Uh, so for him, it's a budgetary item. Uh, and the grandmother comes over, and she sees the table, and this was a table that she had when her kids were young, and she gave it to her daughter. And her husband used to sit there, her, her kids sit there, now her grandkids sit there. So that the reality of the grandmother to that table is far different than the other ones. She sees beyond physicality to, to all these memories and, and this family time. And that is also real. Love is real, but it's not physical. Mm -hmm. uh, truth is real, but it's not physical. All the things that in life that are important turns out not to be physical, but they are true. And, and so you have to look at everything from all sides of reality uh, in order to get a full picture of what something really is. You know, you look at somebody at the same table. You take somebody who designs table, they're going to see it differently. An antique collector, you know, the fullness of reality incorporates all elements of reality for the table. And they, and they don't contradict each other. None of those things contradicted each other. Mm -hmm. They just is, you're, you're seeing reality from a different side. And, and again, you want to see all of reality. Same thing with science and faith. Yeah, which is your table analogy. I mean, two people looking at the husband and wife, they're looking at the same table. They see completely different things because they're coming at it from different perspectives. You know, the husband sees a solid object. And uh, explain this to me. Uh, but the wife really sees what? It's something that's mostly just space? Well, everything is, is uh, if you look at the, let's just take a solar system, which people are familiar with. You have the sun, and then you have uh, the planets far, uh, going around, and there's, there's a void in between them, right? Well, when you look at atoms and molecules, you'll have the nucleus, and you'll have uh, electrons, and you'll have other atoms, but there's large distances between them. And the reason why you, your finger doesn't go through the table uh, with all that you know, because of the large movement? is because of the electrical forces. That's what oh, keeps your, okay. the, your, the uh, electrical forces between your fingers and, and the table is what keeps your finger from going through it. It's not collision with the atom, with the nucleus. And so there's mostly space. It's mostly space. In each individual atom. That's right. 
Okay. And there's a big space between there and the next atom. So you look at it from one perspective, and you're cognizant of the fact that a table is mostly space. And, but yet it's still solid you, to me. And then you look at it from another perspective, and so, it, and so with science and, and faith, it's the same thing. You look at the same thing from different perspectives and come up with different views. Yes, and they're, bo- they're both true. Both true. And so uh, your suggestion, the, the main suggestion, how would you describe the main thesis of the book, this, this idea of the fullness of reality? If neither one alone is sufficient— then the fullness of reality has to be both with both. Yes. Well, if, if you're looking at something and your reality can't explain everything, then instead of uh, just stopping at that point, you need to look and see the other options that can do it. And so in the book, I talk about various other things, not just faith and science. I talk about body and soul. I talk about things like creativity I, I talk about uh, uh, various miracles, uh, things that science cannot explain, but uh, take, take the uh, Eucharistic miracle at Lanciano. Uh, people know, okay, it, the, the host turned into uh, well, before, tissue. Bef- yeah, before we, we go there, um, there's something that's uh, it's kind of interesting to me. So uh, Stephen Hawking wrote a book, you, you mentioned this, and he began the book with a certain statement, did he not? Yes, he said that there are no miracles. And so he... he and he, was, what was the book? Was it called Grand Design? The Grand Design. And by the way, he calls it design, although they, they and, and Dr. Crick, who won a Nobel Prize for DNA, they say, hey, it looks like a design, but you know it's not a design. <laughs> and Richard, Richard Dawkins, the same thing. He acknowledges, looks like a design, but no, it's not it, really. It's not really. So, you know, we're, tra- we're talking about these, these different perspectives. So Stephen Hawking, he is this brilliant man, um, world-renowned, respected all over for his brilliance. And he starts his book with a statement that he can't know for sure. And actually, if you if you kept an open mind, I mean, you mentioned Lanciano. There's many more you mentioned in the book. And of course, in our Catholic faith, there are so many, many, many. Um, but if you're open to that, you wouldn't make an absolute statement like that, right? So you uh, liken him to what? A medieval scientist? Well, you know, at one time, there were scientists who thought the world was flat, right? And if, if that's all you ever did and you never gave credence to anything else, you would be wrong. Uh, you look at, uh, again, you, at, at science and the in the late 1800s, they thought that physics was all solved and everything like that. Newton had done whatever he had done. And then all of a sudden, they noticed that, hey, things don't work, don't really fit. And instead of ignoring it, they pursued it, and they learned all kinds of quantum theory, uh, space-time, you know, all, all those wonderful things that most people have heard of, but they have no idea what it means. Right. I mean, and that's that's true. Even even physics people, they will talk about things, uh, and they will show how mathematically this could work. But when you go to the philosophically what it means, you know, it's a blank. But I mean, th- that example that you gave from uh, the Grand Design, the way that Stephen Hawking opened that book, um, it's kind of surprising. I mean, I hadn't read the book, and so I had no idea how he opened the book. Um, but it's kind of surprising. You wouldn't think 
that somebody as intelligent as a man like Hawking was would just simply lay down an absolute statement for which you could not, with scientific certainty, know whether or not it was true. But yet he says it. And so, um, you know, what I, I guess your point is that scientists, you know, uh, that they're human and they can, they can fall into um, things they want to believe. Is that, do I understand that? Uh, uh, yes, and there's a lot of pressure, too. You know, if, if he comes out and, and says, oh, well, there's a, uh, a transcendent element to uh, reality. Sure, but why not just leave the door open? Yes, I mean, that's the, the idea is that stick to what you're there for and talk about the physics of what you know and how the model of things, how they react. But the things that, you, uh, that don't fit that model, you don't just throw away. And that's what you're talking about with the fullness of reality is to be open to, to both. Be, to be open to everything. Right. Uh, it's, a, again, fundamentals. Why would they, do they think that all these, these uh, science people are making this stuff up? You know? Right. You know, you, you get to a point where there, there seems to be information out and there just, and you're just not denying it. They but, just don't want to believe that the, that the earth is billions of years old. Yeah. And even though the data is because it it it's it they the Bible isn't literalist, well then the, it's like their faith is destroyed, and and what we find out uh, Catholicism takes a great approach because they try to understand why it was written in a certain way, et cetera, and they do not try to force science, don't force the Bible to be a science book, uh, for instance. And so they try to get what. Uh, the revelation of about God, and 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 us, and and get the, that's out its purpose. of there, right? And they love science. You know, the, the church really started science. There's so many of the early scientists were religious. They were they were uh, priests or monks or or whatever, and they they studied these things. They had their own uh, observatory for a long time. They agreed uh, that the Earth. Uh, was was not the uh, was not the center. Uh, they they uh, approved Copernicus. They they had a problem with Galileo because of some actually politics and calling the Pope a simpleton. But besides, <laughs> besides that, you know there there's other things involved. But they had already uh, allowed that that thought to be there. So, yeah. So yeah. the church has been very strong in science all these years. Church has been strong in science and still open to science. It's still very open to science. Right. And, uh, I mean, so I'm sorry, were you saying that, I mean, uh, the Big Bang Theory, you, did you, I mean, that thing? That was by a priest, yes. Right. Uh, so George's Lamitra. Uh, obviously, he was open to science. <laughs> yes. All right. So this is St. Joseph Radio Presents uh, coming to you uh, live from St. Louis, Missouri. And we're in studio today uh, with uh, Dr. David Keyes, who's written a book, Discovering the fullness of reality. You know, in our culture, we're often told science and religion, they don't go together. And you either have to believe one or you have to believe the other. What if there is a way uh, to understand how they both went together? Well, if you're interested in that, then you're interested in reading uh, Dr. Key's book. So we're going to, we're exploring, we've, we've just begun to explore some of what's in this book. 
uh, we're going to continue to do that. We're going to be taking a short break, but we uh, ask you uh, to stay with us and uh, come back as soon as, uh, as soon as we're done. Again, St. Joseph Radio presents. To teach your children about our Catholic faith, Colby Academy has the solution. Offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, Ignatian, flexible, and affordable, Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services, including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students, recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace, and traditional home school courses for maximum flexibility in home education. Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at colby.org. That's K-O-L-B-E dot org. Or give them a call. Area code 707-255-6499. That's 707-255-6499. It's Colby Academy. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the pro-life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. And we're back. Uh, again, my name is Ray Gerard. Uh, we're here with uh, Dr. David Keyes on St. Joseph Radio Presents. We're talking about discovering the fullness of reality. Dr. Keyes. Yes, well, we've been talking faith and science, but that's only a part of things. What, what, I, was really, what I really tried to get to is to demonstrate that there is a transcendent side of life. Uh, something beyond just the physicality and the materialism, but there is a spiritual side of life. And is there evidence for our spiritual side of life? Because if a person can come to the realization that there are things outside themselves, well, then they're only a, a step away from saying there is a God. And, and we know that, from, we do know from Scripture that uh, Romans 1, 19 and 20, how it, it says that, that we can know the power and the deity of God by looking at the things that he has created. And so there are many things. So if we look at the body and soul, this has been a, a long time thing, long before science really existed, the, the Greeks talked about this, how, how a, an individual has a body and a soul, not just a body. And uh, uh, Plato used to think that the, that the soul is kind of trapped inside the body. And you know, used to think about that, and we don't think of it that way. But, but uh, then I came across my mother was, was talking when she was getting older, how, exactly how she felt. She, she felt that uh, she wanted to be able to run and to do all these things, and her mind was active, but she was, she was 
controlled by what her body could do. And now as, as I'm retired and things, I'm beginning to understand exactly the same thing. Uh, there is something about me that transcends my physicality. Uh, and, and there are aspects to my life that the physicality really don't. You know, you, you have uh, things like love. Well, love is more than just a biological response. It, it's, a, it's a whole series of choices and choosing, and you sacrifice and you do things uh, for this person that, that may not directly benefit yourself. You know, why is that? And, and so that's, there's a tran- transcendence to that. And, and like I said, all these things, the truth, justice, beauty, etc., they all transcend ordinary physicality. And you have to realize these things are very real. And then there's been studies that have been done on, on uh, body and soul. And some of the most recent stuff in, in the last 50 years has been all the near-death experiences. And it really should be near-permanent death experiences because these people clinically die uh, but then they're brought back. But they all, they, they, they have a number of things that are very common, things that we've heard all of our lives, like, like having a, uh, a life review. I heard that when I was a, a kid. You know, I didn't have any idea about near-death experience or going through a tunnel or going to the light or hearing things uh, that they had never heard before or seeing colors they had never heard before. And you begin to look at your physicality. And we are limited in our hearing by what our ears can hear. And we know that other animals hear things differently uh, than what we hear. So if indeed at, at death our soul separates from the body, we would, we would necessarily be able to hear, th- and if we can see, hear, see, and uh, et cetera, we would see this, it would be expanded from what our body limits us from. And so all these near-death experiences, and they have things that happen where a person will die and, and they will report that they, that they went to the waiting room, they saw Uncle Harry there and he was wearing certain clothes and he was saying certain things and it, they weren't happy with what Uncle Harry said. And then they come back. Well, how could they know that? It's, it's not due to any oxygen deprivation or anything like that. These are things that, that are very lucid, and they remember these things. And, and they've done all kinds of, they have tens of thousands of cases where they've gone through, and they, they, they all review these things, and they all have similar but not identical experiences, but all of them go outside the body. You get cases where people that are blind. Yeah, are people who are blind from birth, so they've never seen anything. They've never seen colors before, and they come back and they're able to describe uh, objects that they have never seen, they never touched, or anything. They can describe it. They have an awful lot of trouble, just like a, a, a young child has trouble. You ask, you you ask your grandchild, is this red or this blue? And it, after a while, they catch on. But now they see things, and they can talk about. Well, this seems a little darker or more intense. So they don't, you know, they would naturally take what time. But the things they shouldn't be seeing anything at all, but yet they do. But yet they do, which is, so, and it happens what when their soul is. 
at the moment of death, your soul is separated from your body. You're separated from the body. You know, you've got examples. You've got other miracles. Like, for example, there was a miracle uh, a woman who was healed by Padre Pio. She was born with no pupils. And yet she could see, well, I mean, she was healed. I think she was healed when she was like seven years old. And even into her 60s, you could still see pictures of her. Uh, and here's a woman who could see, but she had no pupils. Yeah. So how does that happen? I mean, physically, you can't really explain it. There's a stone cutter at Lourdes. Uh, same kind of situation as I was horribly damaged, and it was not uh, physically it wasn't healed. Uh, it was still had a damaged uh, character to it, and yet he could still see. So, you know, when I read that in your book, it seemed like it was just this tremendous parallel, um, which maybe is, is more understandable now. I mean, you hear about these miracles like that woman healed by P.O. or the one at Lourdes, and, oh, it's just a miracle. It's just, it's just you know, it's, it's a miracle. It comes from God. But then when you think of it the way you describe it, where it's in terms of, well, but we have a soul. And so now, well, that's how that, and the soul is, you know, it, it, it has its own reality to it. And now you can understand how these miracles took place. Yeah. That's how they see and, and you understand, you know, things I heard about as a kid about infused knowledge or people suddenly learn things that they have no way of learning, like they, they may learn how, another language, which still happens that people go to a foreign country and, and, and they, <laughs> they know the language. You know, these things cannot happen uh, if you require physicality. And there's been also studies uh, with surgeries. They, they do... Uh, certain surgeries on the, on the brain and that the person stays awake. And if, if the person uh, is awake they, and they, they touch certain parts and it makes them move their hand or whatever, and, but the person can talk to them. And the one thing they can't do is they can't get the person to lie. There's no part in the brain where you touch it and it generates a lie. And there's, there's uh, no part in the brain where well, That you must mean people never lie. No, <laughs> it means that, that uh, as we all have learned, that we have consciences, okay? There's something within everybody that has gives you an idea of right and wrong, and that conscience can be improved or it could be tattered, you know? And people, uh, their consciences, through doing the wrong thing, they begin to accept that as truth. But the thing is, everybody in all cultures know certain things you know it's wrong to uh, even a small child you know they'll say that's not fair uh, you know every culture is wrong for somebody to an uh, extreme case rape a, a three-year-old of course it's wrong to rape anybody but you know this is something that we are something within us tells us this is wrong and and how do you how we do you need, explain we need, that? We don't need to be taught that. We just know that you know. Yeah, we, yeah. it's it's everybody knows that. Yeah, you hurt another person and you feel bad. Where does yeah. that come from? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's another um, interesting uh, way of looking at things uh, that I hadn't realized before that I got I got from your book. You talk about the twin paradox. Yes. Right. Can you tell us about the twin paradox? Okay, this, this is back in a science thing, but it, it's something that makes no sense to our common sense. But that doesn't mean it's not true. And so this is, this is a, a reality that uh, we see in various cases. But in the twin paradox, uh, 
we, we know that the faster you speed, go when you near the speed, go the speed of light, that time changes, length changes, mass changes, all these things change. So if you have two twins, they're 20 years old, and the one twin uh, gets to go in a spaceship and travels at 87% of the speed of light, and, and, and the other twin stays home and takes care of the dog. Well, in 20 years, that guy who went to space, his, 20 of his years, he lands again, and he goes visits his brother. Well, he is now 40 years old, and his brother is physically 60 years old. Okay, and so the only thing that has been different is the speed. Now, it doesn't make sense for us. We would say, well, that doesn't make sense. They both should be 60 years old. But this is what, uh, what, happens. what relativity is, is all about. So and, and we can see these things, and uh, we, we see the, these, that the relativity effects are real uh, in even our GPS systems, uh, in our... When, when I worked in radiation therapy, had linear accelerators accelerating the, the particles so fast that they would increase in mass, so you needed a stronger magnetic field to, to make it go where you wanted to. So these are very real things. Uh, the, the example of two twins doing this is, is a theoretical paradox, but from everything we know, it would be true if that could happen. So just like we're talking about um, the soul as a spiritual reality being able to help us understand how some of these miracles can take place. Just as you, you understand, well, a person at the moment of death, when his, when his soul you know, has maybe this, this, this separate kind of existence to it, at that moment of death, they can see even though the human body had been blind since birth, and that, that can help us understand the miracles like the ones we talked about with Padre Pio and the one that happened at Lourdes. Um, you know, in the same kind of way, this twin paradox can help us understand timelessness. I mean, we are told from a faith-based kind of perspective, well, God's outside of time. God is timeless. Um, and that we have a hard time comprehending that. You say, like, well, we, we can't understand how somebody could be 40 and somebody could be 60. Um, but yet it could be if you approach the speed of light. Well, couldn't God do that? And couldn't he do that to the godzillionth degree? And then wouldn't he, would he not then be truly outside of time? It's a little glimpse into this, this, this reality that's really hard for us to grasp. But it's just sort of like an amazing kind of a concept where, you know, science helps us understand faith, if you will. Yes, and the, and the whole thing is just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Right. And this whole thing about, about trust, again, you know, I, I trust that it's true because of uh, I took courses that they talked about such things and whatever. I've never traveled at 87% of the speed of light. Uh, but there, there are things that, that you trust, and they're true. And there's things in, in life we we see our our relationships to others and and we find out well we have guidelines on how to live life and when you live that life we are told that you'll have a better life you'll have uh, uh, better communication with them you'll be able to love them and all these things and so you you trust that and so you do that you don't just rely on on physicality um, 
I am going to love somebody, so I'm going to give them a pill that's going to to make them love me. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. They're, they are, these things are all out of outside of materialism. And so anyway, I, I I talk about so that's on a personal side. We see these things like uh, creativity. You uh, anybody who's done any program, computer programming, or even like Excel, where you write a little thing for your to do your, your bills at home or whatever or at work, uh, the computer only does what you tell it to do. That's the other wondrous thing about mankind is that uh, we do extra things. They're like, like you could do a program to make music, but it's not the same as a virtuoso does when he plays. It's never quite the same. There is something uh, that's unique about us. So, so that, is, that is one aspect of this. Uh, we have uh, things that are, are outside of things like that. I started to talk about Eucharistic miracles again uh, before. And I, and I mentioned that the Eucharistic miracle at Lanciano. Uh, you hear that, okay, the host turn, turned into to, uh, uh, tissue and the wine turned into blood. What does that mean? Well, when you really look at it, and this is still around after 1,300 years, when that host turned into cardiac muscle, uh, it, it has blood, it has capillaries and nerves and blood cells in it. Uh, these were investigated as late as uh, the mid-1980s, very modern equipment. And Lanciano took place when? Uh, about 700 yeah. A.D., somewhere yeah. in the 700s. Yeah. They don't know the, the exact date. But the point is, uh, the real miracle is even greater than that because that muscle is physically attached to a rim of the original bread of the host. Now, how do you attach muscle to bread? You can't. And how do you expose it to the air for 1,300 years and not have it disappear? So we, I get in trouble at home uh, because in, in the summer, I don't put the bread in the refrigerator, and then it turns moldy and whatever. So, you know, it, it can't happen. And then you find out when they, they test the blood that it comes from a Middle Eastern male and a certain blood type, and then you have other Eucharistic miracles like what Pope Francis was involved in in Buenos Aires uh, in the mid-1990s, and that also turned into cardiac tissue from the same region of the heart, from the, also from a Middle Eastern male, also with the same blood type. And when five years later, so it should have been gone, five years later it's sent to uh, uh, Frederick Zugabi, who was an a international right. forensic specialist, right. and he looks at it and the cells are moving about inside the sample. That's just amazing. That is just amazing. So this is St. Uh, St. Joseph Radio presents, uh, coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I'm here with Dr. David Keyes. We're talking about his, his new book, uh, Discovering the Fullness of Reality. Um, and, and you're right, Dr. Keyes. I mean, that, this is, these are just truly amazing things, and they can't just simply be ignored. But, it, the, but they are ignored. It's, they're ignored and they're not spoken about. Uh, and our faith, of course, doesn't depend upon these things, but even Jesus worked miracles so that if they didn't believe his words, he said, you should believe my works. And so it's God who's given us these miracles to use, but 
I, again, it's our faith is doesn't require it. We have everything we need uh, to have faith uh, through what the church has provided for us through scriptures and tradition. And uh, yeah, and it's not just it's not just Lanciano. There's there's so many more of these things which they're there for us if we just simply open our eyes. I mean, you go into into some depth with regard to what happened at Fatima. Yeah. You've got tens of thousands of witnesses. Uh, tens of thousands of witnesses. Yeah, you would think that would be 70 enough. Seventy to ninety thousand people saw it. Uh, it was the the state was against it. They had atheists there. They had plenty of people there, and they they see this, and it's it's in the regular newspapers, mm-hmm. secular newspapers. Uh, and uh, just because it was in the early nineteen hundreds, people just they don't believe it. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's. I mean, there is a willful blindness that, that's going because even in the early 1900s, those people, I mean, th- this should have gone around the world. Um, yeah. You know, what I understood from Fatima was that it had been raining, raining, raining. People were drenched. And after the miracle of the sun, these people were dry instantly. Yeah, so I mean, that should have been enough to yes, change It everybody. wasn't only that their mind was seeing things. There was a like physical, a there's physical there's evidence. A, there's a there's phys- corroborating there, yeah, physical, physical evidence. evidence. I mean, that should be enough to say, whoa, something happened here. Yeah. And yet people still can find a way. Somehow they find their way not to look at it. Yeah. I, I talk a little bit about incorruptible bodies. And, of course, there are incorruptible bodies incorruptible bodies that are have found outside the Catholic Church, but they tend to be bodies that were buried in dry, arid places. Uh, you, you, for Catholicism, it's more the, the, the nature of the person who died, not where they were buried. So you go to St. Bernadette Subaru at Lourdes, and when, when she died, uh, when she was going to be um, made blessed, they, they went and they exhumed the body because they get relics from it. And they exhumed the body, and they opened it up, and, and there she had not decayed. It's been 25 years later. So they close the, the casket, and then they come back later. And who did they bring? They bring atheists, uh, pathologists, and uh, surgeon that comes in there, and they open up the body again, and they're amazed to see what it is, and they do an autopsy on it. Hmm. So this, So she's been dead, I think, like 30 years, and they do it, and she has... Uh, fresh red blood cells in her liver. <laughs> you know, and, and what's, what is the real proof of that? Because I, I could say that and they say, oh, come on. Well, part of the proof is, is that they convert. And you get these people who are atheists. It's now they have this event in their life and they can't sidestep it and they convert. Yeah, there's, 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 something, <laughs> there's something there yeah, that so needs so. to be, yeah. Um, you know, I, I was um, I was reading uh, uh, this book, The God Delusion, by Richard Dawkins. Oh, I don't know, some years ago. And he, I was talking about how, um, well, you know, if a statue moves, that you know, there's a scientific explanation for that. And I was waiting with bated breath. I mean, he's he's world. I mean, he's you know, Cambridge professor. You know, he's 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 this brilliant man. And the explanation was, well, if just by chance all of the atoms and molecules in the statue happen to move in the same direction at the same time, then you could have an arm of a statue move. And I, in my own just common sense way, thought, 
well, that's bunk. That just can't happen. But you explain scientifically why it's bunk. There's this idea of the minimum distance that you can move from a fellow named Planck. Well, we uh, let's just say that there there are things that are misapplied. Let's let's remember mathematics and probabilities are abstract. What's the realities is when you talk about five apples on the table, the number five is just uh, sort of an abstract. It has to be five something. And, you know, a circle is an abstract idea. There's no such thing as a, a physical circle. Everything has defects. And so what, what he did was he was applying probabilities and saying, well, if it's probable, then it must uh, be able to occur. And uh, he even goes so far as to say, well, he, uh, math, prob from a poly, probability point of view, a, a cow could jump over the moon, which is utter nonsense. Because uh, here's the example. There was, uh, from philosophers back in the Greek days, there was one, uh, Zeno and Aristotle. And Zeno uh, proposed this, this problem, is that a man is approaching uh, this is kind of my version of it, but it's the same thing. Uh, a man is approaching a finish line in a race. Okay, so in, in another second, he is halfway there. Okay, and then in another time frame, uh, he's a, a fourth of the way there. And then he's an eighth of the way there. He's a sixteenth of the way there. He's a thirty-second of the way there. And ev eventually, he's never, if you look at it from just changing his position by 50% each time, he never crosses the finish line. How yeah. can that be? Yeah, I guess he's, at some point, I guess he's going to have to. And <laughs> so we know that, that he does. But what is the problem? Well, the, the problem is you can't just keep going 50%, 50%, 50%. You come down to the, at the end, there's a finite distance that you must move. And it's called a plank length. And it's like 10 to the minus 40th. Yeah. Centimeters. Yeah. So it's a teeny, we don't notice it in real life. Uh, right, right. But, uh, uh, so anyway, you get to that point, he cannot go move 50%, so he either has to stop or he has to surpass it. Right, right. Uh, well, Dr. Keyes, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us today. It's a fascinating book, um, exploring how science and faith go together. Um, they, these two bodies of, of thought and study, they examine different things. So there's, there really is no conflict when they come up with different answers because they're asking different questions to start with. And you go into explaining how that happens in so many different ways from so many different angles. And it's a wonderful book and we encourage people uh, to, to look for it. Uh, Dr. David Keyes, uh, Discovering the Fullness of Reality. This has been St. Joseph Radio Presents. We hope, we're glad you joined us and hope you do so again. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of 
Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents. Thank you.